On today's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, we'll be talking more about the power of questions. This time we'll be talking about problem questions, because, you know, just like some kids, there are some problem kids and there are some problem questions. Nah, just kidding. We're talking about problem-solving questions, so it's all good and you want to stay tuned. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Hi. Welcome back. This is Doug O'Brien, and I'm speaking today about questions. Now, I know I talked about questions before because there's a lot to talk about regarding questions. So thank you for reminding me. And if you haven't listened to that, boy, that's a really amazing episode. You should totally, totally check that out. In all seriousness, starts with rapport and goes into questions, and it's a, you know, it's it's good. It's really good. And so, you know, I was just going to, I was just thinking, you know, as I'm starting to record this here now today, um, magic of radio. I mean, it's not radio, it's a podcast, but, you know, you could imagine that I am standing at my stand-up desk looking out the window at the bird feeder and it's a winter's day and the birds, I just filled it. They're just all gathered around. There literally are dozens of different birds there and several different species there's house finches and and uh what is that called a, a tufted titmouse and a black capped chickadee i can see and there's oh a nice big uh, woodpecker and a um nuthatch is a red breasted i think it's called nuthatch and a white breasted nuthatch there's two different kinds amazing thing to see and you might believe me if i told you that um because how do you know what I'm what I'm doing. I could also tell you that I'm actually standing um, at the bay window of my of my villa. I'm overlooking the pool and the palm trees, and it's just a gorgeous morning. The sun rising up over the ocean. Um, how would you know? It's an amazing thing. This 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 radio thing. This podcast stuff. It's it's kind of amazing. So I would also just like to point out that the power of questions is that. If you were to stop wherever you are and say, what's beautiful around me, you'd find some stuff because that's the nature of the power of questions. We focus on what we ask ourselves about. Now, I won't go into much more detail about that because that's in the previous episode. So you do want to check that out. It is actually a very, very good episode because this power of questions is very, very important, not only for us personally, but of course, for us as coaches, because the questions we ask to our coach clients helps them to focus on what's important to them and where are they going in their lives. And that's probably, you know, one of the most essential coaching skills is the, the ability to ask good questions, to ask good questions. I think personally, my personal um, bias towards coaching and in and, and general, um, you know, life coaching that we do over the phone and over zoom these days. Um, yes. And also in person when you're doing that, but also just generally, you know, when we're, whenever I'm working with somebody, I want the change to be integral to the 
individual, to the person that's there. I don't want to tell them what to do. You know, I want them to get it. I want them to figure it out. I want them to know that change comes within. It's an old saying. I'm sure you've heard that we all have the resources we need to do whatever we want to do inside ourselves already. They're inside. The, the, the trick of the coach is to help the client to get access to those resources, right? To get access to so they can use them so that then they can manifest. We all do the best we can with the resources we have available to us. The trick is to get access to those resources. One of the ways you do that is state management. When you're in a good state, you do good things. Generally speaking, when you're in a bad state, eh, not so much, right? We've all been in that sort of flow state where things are working really well. And we've also been in the state where, geez, nothing's really working. You know, what's the difference? It may be Mercury in retrograde, (laughs) but I don't think so. I think, I think, personally, that it's state management, state related. You know, when you're in that good flow state, things work in a flow way. And when you're not, you're not. And one of the ways that you can facilitate this is by the use of questions. Now, I told you last time that I'd learned a lot of what I know from NLP from Anthony Robbins. Tony Robbins was my first trainer of NLP. I learned about it through him. I thought he was the guy that did it. You know, I'd heard of it. I, he mentioned other people, but I didn't know who I, who they were, you know? And um, then I went to a certification course that he taught and he was the main teacher, but he wasn't the only teacher. He brought some of those people in. He brought in Richard Bandler. He brought in Robert Diltz, brought in Dave Dobson, who was a more hypnotherapist person, but nevertheless involved in the scene. And I met all these people, quite extraordinary folks quite extraordinary thing to, to, to observe and witness. But um, one of the biggest contributions I think that Tony made to the field, because I, I realized after meeting all those people that Tony didn't invent NLP, he just kind of used it real well. Um, but one of the things he did contribute to the field, I believe, is uh, this, this observance of the power of questions. And the questions that we talked about last time, like, you know, what are you happy about? Why does it make you happy when you analyze the solution? How does it make you feel? Really amazingly good. And you can, of course, change that question from what am I happy about to any other, you know, feeling you want to feel more of, you know, what am I proud of? What am I excited about? You know, any any fill in the blank emotion that you put in, put in there, you, you can get more of that if you focus on that stuff. And what I want to talk about today is the second part of that, sort of the flip side of, you know, focusing on positive stuff. And that is to say, when not such good things happen, challenges take place, you know, life happens, then what? You know, what's good about this? Well, nothing. <laughs> you know, stuff happens sometimes, doesn't it? And have you ever had the experience where something did not go the way you wanted it to go? And then eventually you realized, oh my God, I'm so glad that that did not go the way I wanted it to go. And what I got instead was much, much better. You know, talk about relationships or talk about jobs or talking about moving to a particular community or whatever that you know, what you got instead, you made into something much better. 
It worked out really, really well. I certainly have had many experiences like that where things were, things were tough and we got through it. And so that made us better people, stronger people. And, you know, we learned from the challenges. An old saying that says, you know, good wood is not made with ease. The stronger the wind, the stronger the trees. We all know that. And you also know the expression, someday you'll look back on this and laugh. Well, as Richard Bandler once said, why wait? Let's look back on it now and laugh. So with, of course, in NLP, you say, okay, float up over your timeline, float into the future, look back on it and say, well, that's pretty funny. But so you can do it right now with the NLP process. And what we're going to be talking about today is not that. We're going to be talking about how you can shift your focus by the power of the question you ask yourself. So imagine for a moment, by the way, this is uh, 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 the the five problem-solving questions is what I'm about to expound upon and teach you. If you want to use that expression, I will, I will lay forth before you and you can learn it or not. Um, the five problem-solving questions. So a challenge that takes place or a problem that takes place. Uh, five questions you can ask yourself that might, in fact, help you to shift that focus and make it into a good thing. So something happens. Whatever it is, something happens. Car won't start. Uh, internet connection won't, won't work. You know, the, the Zoom call you were meant to be, the, the meeting you're supposed to be on, you know, just technically isn't happening. A power went out or your computer was on the fritz. Anything, just anything happens, right? Of a problem sort of nature. Now, question number one that you could ask yourself instead of what, Typically, we do ask ourselves, like, why does this always happen at the worst possible time? You know, someday I'm going to get my hands on that Murphy guy, you know, Murphy's Law. Someday, someday, I'll get my hands on that guy. Murphy's Law. If only he hadn't made up that law. Um, of course, I'm kidding. That was a joke. You're not here to see me wink or a little, little winky emoji. <laughs> what if you were... Um, yeah. So what we typically do, of course, you know, is when something happens, we go, we say something like that. Why does this always happen to us? What did I do to deserve this? Why does this always happening? And the problem with that is, of course, your brain answers questions that you ask it. Right. Refer back to the previous one. You, your brain wants to at least, and looks for the answers to the questions that you ask it. So if you ask it a question like, why does this always happen to me? What's your brain going to do? It's going to say, well, it always happens to you because uh, you've always been this way and you just kind of, uh, and it'll come up with answers that might be in fact, total BS, right? And yet part of you believes it. Why? Well, maybe it's because you've always felt that way and you've heard it your whole life. Or maybe your your dad or your grandpa or your mother or your grandma or your brother or your sister or somebody, your teacher, your coach, or I don't know, back in junior high school or whatever, um, said something like that. And because they are what I call amateur hypnotists, right, you took it in. And you thought it and you believed it. And maybe you just heard it over and over and over and over again, maybe from yourself. So you believe it. So if you ask yourself a question like, why does this always happen to me? You're going to get an answer to that question. 
what did I do to deserve this? Well, you deserve it because, you know, you will get answers to the questions you ask. So enough preamble. So the first question you could ask instead, question number one of the five problem-solving questions is, what's good about this problem? Or what's great about this problem? You can ask it either way. This problem or the situation. What's good or great about this problem or the situation? What's good? What's good about this? So example, car won't start. What's good about this situation? Hmm. Well, I get a chance once again to practice mindfulness and problem solving situations. I get a chance to see how well I do and the problem solving questions thing, how much I've learned. If your brain starts asking the question, what's good about it, you can start finding answers. You won't find them if you don't ask. Promise, right? You won't. Unless somebody else comes along and goes, hey, check this out, you know, and, and, and figures it out for you, which can happen if you're wailing and by the side of the road, somebody can lend a hand. But um, better to have your own resources, don't you think? Much better that way, I think. So what's good or great about this problem or the situation? Question number two. What's not perfect yet? What's not perfect yet? And by the way, I will just another shout out to Tony. I do think this is good stuff. And I think it's some of the best work he did in this arena. Um, So I think it's very cool. I I use these all the time. I use the uh, the questions we talked about last time, the morning questions and the other questions. I use those and I've used them for years. But these guys... I use these all the time. I have gotten these to this. These are kind of ingrained in me. So question number two is, what's not perfect yet? So notice some of the language there. What's not perfect yet? Operative word, yet, meaning it's going to be. It isn't right now, and it will be soon. So you're looking for what's not perfect yet. It's not what's the problem. It's what's not perfect yet. you know, looking for where the situation is. What's not perfect yet is I am stuck and I need to get to work and my car is not working. Um, So that's not perfect. So question number three, what am I willing to do to make it the way that I want it? What am I willing to do to make it the way I want it? So, okay, good question. Um, Well, I'm willing to um, try to start the car. I'm willing to ask for help. I'm willing to uh, make a phone call on my mobile phone. Thank God for mobile phones. This problem was a bigger problem a few years ago. (laughs) Let me tell you, your car broke down on the side of the road and the nearest phone was a phone booth 10 miles away. That was a bigger problem than it is today when you can call AAA from your mobile. Anyway, maybe there isn't self-service. I won't... I won't belittle the fact that uh, it is still a problem. But what am I willing to do to make it the way I want it is an operationally functional question, isn't it? So you can start looking for things that you can do to make it the way that you want it to be. I want to get to work. I want to get the car fixed. I want to do something. You know, you find out what it is that you can do to make it the way you want it. Excellent question. Question number four, what am I willing to not do? to make it the way I want it. Now, this is an interesting question. And what I have found a lot of times when I've been talking to people about this process is that they try to change the syntax. They want to change the syntax. They want to change the 
order of the words in the sentence to what am I not willing to do? What am I not willing to do to make it the way I want it? I don't want to do that. I'm not willing to do that. But that is not the question. The question is, what am I willing to not do? So in other words, there may have been lots of patterns in my past where I would, you know, freak out, I'd yell and scream, I'd hit the car for being a bad car, <laughs> you know, I don't know. But, you know, there's things that we've done that aren't very helpful. So I'm willing right now today to not do those things, right? I'm willing to not do those things. So it's proactive. I'm willing it. I'm still the guy in charge. I'm willing to not do those unhelpful kind of maybe stupid things. Okay, that's question number four. And question number five, maybe my favorite question of all is, how can I enjoy the process? Right? How, how can I enjoy the process of doing or and not doing the things necessary to make the way I want it? How can I enjoy this process? Love this question. Why? Because <laughs> you got to do it anyway. You might as well have a good time. I remember a few years ago, I was, I was running. I, was, I used to run marathons. I, I got kind of a, uh, I'll tell you a slightly longer story since we have the time. You're not going anyplace, are you? Um, I used to, I, my, uh, how far back do I want to go? I started running f- for health purposes. I, I, I you know, um, as a piano major, I sat down a lot playing the piano and practice rooms for hours on end. I gained some weight in high school. I mean, in, in college doing that. And, um, and as I got older, you know, losing weight wasn't any easier. So I, I took up running. My brother was an avid runner. And so um, I started running for health, but because it was, you know, just a discipline. It's like, go, let's go for a run, better go for, go for a run. I started doing occasional races so that it would have some motivation for running. It wasn't just for the, the sake of doing it because it was healthy for me. I, I had a, something to train for. I had a race to train for. And then I could also add into that little, you know, friendly competition of wanting to race in a race with my brother and, and, you know, compete with him, maybe beat him someday. You know, he was a very good runner, so it wasn't going to happen anytime soon, but it was something I could strive for, made, made it interesting. And in so doing around my neighborhood in Park Slope, Brooklyn, I would run in Prospect Park, the park that Park Slope was named for, slopes up to the park or down from it, depending on your perspective. And um, I met people who were also running in those days. And I, I, I hooked up with some of these people that were members of the Prospect Park Track Club. Now, the Prospect Park Track Club has no track. They don't run track meets. They run mostly marathons. And so I just sort of got caught up in the activities that led up to marathoning that was part of this group. So I ran my first marathon in 19. 19- 84 it did not end well. <laughs> I did not finish that race. I actually ended up in the hospital along with several other thousands of people because it was a very uniquely hot and humid day. And um, yeah, so let's just say learned a very valuable lesson. No, it's good about this is I learned some valuable lessons in that race. But um but suffice it to say, I was determined. I, I, I just, I, I, somewhere along the, the way, I kind of caught the bug of wanting to run a marathon fast enough to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Boston Marathon's a race 
age old race, one of the, one of the oldest races in the country. Um, uh, and and for many years you had to qualify for it. You had to run a, another marathon, like a New York marathon or a Chicago marathon or whatever, um, some other marathon, um, an official marathon distance at a fast enough speed that you qualified to run in Boston. It was kind of the holy grail, if you will, of, of marathoners at the time, in, at least at my level. And um and I never quite managed. I never quite got there. I spent years doing it, years and doing it. So I'd, I would work out. I would work out hard because it isn't easy. There's a, it's a prodigious task. You know, it's a, it's a high bar. You got to clear to get there. And um, so I'd be running in all kinds of weather. I, I've run in sub-zero weather in Alaska. I've run long runs in, in literally 10 below zero in Alaska. I've run in... 103, 104, whatever degree temperatures in New York City or other places. And so I remember one time, getting back to the point here, I remember one time I was running in New York City and it was approximately 103 degrees. It was a terrible, terribly hot streak that the New York was experiencing at the time. And I was up in the park running and I was one of the few people up there running because it was really hot and you probably shouldn't have been running that kind of weather unless you're, you know, really trained for it and taking appropriate precautions like having lots of water, et cetera, which I had done. And um, I was up there thinking, oh man, this sucks. This is really hard. I hate this. And then I thought, wait a second now, what's that stuff you keep talking to people about? It's the power of questions you keep saying. So I thought to myself, well, what's, what's good about this? I said, well, you know, if I can run in this kind of heat, the kind of heat that I couldn't finish the 1984 race will be nothing, you know? Give me 86 degrees. Give me 90% humidity. I'll take it. It's cool compared to this, right? That's good. It's good. What's not perfect yet? Well, it's really hot. <laughs> so what am I willing to do about it? Uh, I can make sure I stay hydrated. I've got the appropriate sunscreen on and appropriate light colored clothing it's a lot of airflow etc what i'm willing to not do i'm willing to you know not quit i'm willing to not complain and then finally i got to the fifth question is how can i enjoy this process and it's like oh wow i can enjoy this i can enjoy this process wow all right and i started noticing Things that I hadn't noticed before. Same thing has happened when I was running in super cold weather. I did the same process in Alaska when I was running in that sub, you know, 10 below zeros in Alaska. I remember I was running, my, my sister-in-law, the reason we're up there, we're up there for Christmas. My sister-in-law uh, lived in Eagle River, Alaska, which is a suburb, I guess, of uh, Anchorage, just north of Anchorage. I think it's north. And... Um, I was running and, and, you know, I'm from New York. I've been living in New York city for a number of years. I'm not right now, but have been, and I'm used to lots of birds, but most of them there are, you know, pigeons or sparrows. And so I saw this tree off in the distance that had all these birds in it. And I assumed they were pigeons or crows, maybe clearly too big for sparrows, but you know, probably pigeons, all these birds in this tree, a bunch of them, probably a dozen. 
And as I got closer and closer to it, I'm thinking, well, how can I enjoy this process? You know, I'm freezing my tushy off, but how can I enjoy this process? What's good about this? How can I enjoy this process? And and then as I got closer to them, I started looking around and, and noticed that they were all of them. Every single one of them were eagles, were bald eagles. Amazing. It was just this amazing sight to see this tree, not that big of a tree, this tree that was just filled like a Christmas tree with ornaments on it, you know, with, with bald eagles there. It's like, oh my gracious, that's an amazing thing to see. So when you ask yourself the questions, your brain wants to find the answers. That is the nature of brains. So when you say, how can I enjoy this process? The brain will start to answer those questions. I've seen a lot of runners. My, my, my wife used to say to me that she would take up running the day that she sees a runner running who looks like he or she is having a good time. You know, because you see a lot of people out there, you know, slogging away, you know, huffing and puffing and grunting and sweating and stuff. And and they don't look they're having a very good time. And I and I said to my wife, but what what about me? I I'm I'm out there having a good time. She said, Yeah, you don't count, she said. <laughs> you know, but you see this, you see a lot of people doing that sort of thing. They're they're working out. They're not playing out. They're working out. This is a tough slog, right? They're working at it, working at it, working at it. So I figure as long as you got to do it, you might as well have a good time. That I wouldn't mind if that was like on my gravestone, you know, if, if, I, if I had like a bumper sticker, you know, you see these people with quotes and, you know, Buddha calendars and stuff. If I, if I had a quote, if that was my quote, I wouldn't mind that at all. As long as you got to do it, you might as well have a good time. That's pretty good. As, as far as mottos go, that's not a bad motto. So, yeah, you know what I mean? It's You got to do it anyway. You might as well have a good time doing it. There's ways to enjoy whatever it is. Doing dishes can be like this mindfulness practice. It can be a meditation. You know, you can just get each one done really well and just enjoy and take pride in the process. You can have fun, you know, in quotes. I don't know if fun is exactly your choice for a word describing a mindfulness process while you do dishes, but you can enjoy it. Maybe it's not quote unquote fun. I don't know if you can see my air quotes here, fun, but it's enjoyable. I remember driving to, from Buffalo where I grew up to Canada, stopping at the customs booth at the Peace Bridge, connecting Buffalo to Fort Erie, Ontario. I think if I recall correctly. And um, the customs guy said, so uh, what's your purpose for visiting Canada? I said, for fun, just having fun. It wasn't the answer he was looking for, but uh, it was my answer. It was, it was truthful, truthful. So you might as well have a good time if you got to do it anyway. These are the questions that you can use to do that. And as before, these questions are useful. These are valuable. These are perhaps, you might say, essential. Not just for you, again, as before, not just for you, for your clients, for you to be able to do coaching with your clients. Say something challenging happens to them. Right? Maybe you've set this, <clears throat> I don't know, 
10 step process in motion or you've planned this thing, you've got a, you know, well-formed goal happening and it's all working according to plan. And then there's some setbacks. What do you do? You say, well, what's good about this? What's good or great about this problem or the setback? What's not perfect yet? What are you willing to do to make it the way you want it? What are you willing to not do to make it the way you want it? How can you enjoy the process of doing or not doing the things necessary to make it the way you want it? These are great questions. And I would be willing to bet that if if a particular life coach had little or nothing else in his or her repertoire other than the ability to ask these questions, you know, what's good about this, what's not perfect yet, you know, et cetera, et cetera, these five problem-solving questions – I would be willing to bet if said life coach had nothing but these five questions in his or her repertoire that he could be a pretty darn successful life coach with those questions. I betcha. Betcha. They are that, that powerful. And then if you add to them the questions we did last time, we talked about questions, which you'll have to go back and listen to if you haven't done so already. Then, yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot of material right there. Now, is it an essential coaching skill? It's arguable. I mean, you can make arguments about anything, but I will tell you, I think it is an essential coaching skill. And I'm glad that you are here listening to the Essential Coaching Skills podcast and hope that you're getting lots of good little tidbits. And I will leave this with you for today because honestly, not much more I can say about it. And it is important enough that I could be talking for hours about this and it'd be the same message. These five problem-solving questions are gold. Enjoy them. Thank you. Well, that does it for another episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I certainly enjoyed having you here. Hey, if you want more information about Sleight of Mouth, you can find it at EssentialCoachingSkills.com, or you might even check out SleightofMouth.org. That's a nice website, too. Thanks. Stay safe, stay curious.